However, standing by right now is the one and the only, Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my, go to my grave testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does, I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? You go ahead and chop me. Give me a big chop. I'll sell. I'll give you my whole chest and everything. And then I'll look at you like this, and then I'll punch you right in the mouth as hard as I can. (laughs) Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this very special holiday edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney. And this really is uh, going to be fun, guys. We're doing some uh, uh, a lot of different things with this crowdcast. Now, uh, a lot of our Patreon members that are joining us are, are used to how we do this. This is a really, uh, uh, a really a great platform uh, that uh, we can do a lot of different things. And we are going to uh, really experiment tonight. But first of all, I want to welcome everybody for joining us. And I see they're already starting to line up. Uh, Fraser Kemp is with us once again, a, a very uh, loyal, longtime listener and uh, participator, <laughs> if that's even a word. But uh, really good to see all you guys. Uh, let's hear you. Tell me where you're coming from. Uh, Tony and Newsy's with us, and Be Real WWF fan, uh, WWE. Uh, let's see who else we got. Unboxed Alliance is with us. Matthew Barrett. Um, also coming in, checking in, Unbox Alliance from Denver, Colorado. Uh, Matthew uh, Barnett is, uh, is that right? Uh, Barnett, yeah, from the UK. Got a lot of uh, listeners from the UK. And uh, this is going to be fun, guys, because this is our end of the year special, I guess. And I was going through the list because, you know, you know, we do these interviews every week. and We line them up and we get the folks to come on. And I just kind of forget because it's just one week after another. And we try and, you know... Uh, just get them done and get them out there so that you guys can enjoy them. But I was just looking through the list of what a year, what a year it was. I didn't even get through all of them, but uh, just some great personalities that came on, you know, Chavo Guerrero, uh, Bret Hart uh, from that episode I did at Star- StarCast, Medusa with, with, was with us, J.J. Dillon, um, Sam Roberts, Craig DeGeorge. God, that was such a fun episode talking to Craig. It had been decades since we chatted. Um, Brutus came back on and we got caught up with what's going on with his life. Uh, Sam Houston, Earl Hebner. That was a great, I mean, it just goes on and on the list and I, I didn't even get through looking at him, but really, yeah, um, it was an amazing year. Um, so we're going to celebrate it this show and we pulled a bunch of clips from some of our favorite episodes of some, some of the f- uh, favorite conversations that we had, but I want you guys to chime in as well. There's probably things that I haven't even thought about or I forgot that you guys remember. And um, if you're familiar with this platform, familiar with it, uh, you know that I can bring you up on the screen and you can talk to us. Also, uh, Casey is going to be with us. Uh, Casey Jerome Beck, our producer, many of you have uh, corresponded with him as well as Evan, Evan Polisher, who is uh, our social media guy. 
So we have a lot going on in this episode. We'll just uh, go as long as we need to because uh, we want to get to a bunch of these clips that uh, we've put together. And I want to pull, let's see, I need to pull that one. I, I know that uh, that Casey sent me a list of the guys uh, or the, the people that we've pulled clips from. But uh, any of you guys want to chime in and uh, tell us about a favorite memory or one conversation that really stands out to you, um, please, 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 please let me know because uh, we want to be sure and uh, and talk about them. And you're going to hear of a lot of them. I think we've pulled something like, uh, I don't know, more than 10 clips. I don't know if we'll get to every one of them, but we'll play them and then uh, get people's reactions. And uh, you can come on if you got any Q&A, if you got any questions. If you don't want to come on camera, that's okay. Because if you'll notice on the right side of the screen, there is a uh, you know, um, little chat box that you guys can put the questions up there. I'll keep checking on that. Uh, let's see. Okay. So I'm going to just pull this off to the side because he's got the list of people that uh, I'm just going to keep that up. Why not? I can do that. All right. So that can go away. And let me put this back up and go back to, wow. I'm getting good at this. I remember when I first started this out, remember you guys that were the first uh, ones that started doing these watch alongs with us. I didn't know what the hell to do with this crowdcast, but it is such a, it's a real, it's really a fun platform. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, Sean, Jazz, Stephen. Um, where are you, where are you checking in from, Sean? And I love the way you spell your name. You spell it correctly. That's good. <laughs> uh, but, um, but anyway, uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah for folks out there. Hanukkah, I believe, I think is the 24th this year. It's already, maybe it already started. I don't know, but um, happy Hanukkah, whatever you're celebrating these holidays, but it's a, it's a great time. And uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I remember Garrett, Garrett Hernandez reminded me of the, um, of the Brian Knobs watch along. It was one of the first ones we did. And uh, the story, uh, let me just tell you a little background on the story with Brian. Cause I love Brian. He's just you know, you start talking to him, you can't help but just uh, get caught up with him because he's, he's just a thousand miles an hour. And uh, it was one of our first watch alongs. We were going to actually have somebody come on and Brian uh, graciously said he would. So the day before we, we wanted to do a test because he didn't know, you know, how to do any of this. And so we set it up where he could do it on his phone through Crowdcast and he was at his house and we finally figured it all out. You guys remember this? And he was going to do it from his house and everything was good. Good signal. We could hear him. We could, uh, we saw him. It was great. Well, the day, the next day we're going to do it. He gets nervous. He thinks, well, what if something goes wrong? And then it just falls apart. So he gets this idea that, you know, everybody knows him down at the Verizon store. So he's going to get in his car and he goes to the Verizon store and he's going to do it from there. Cause he figures if they got to have great internet and if anything goes wrong, I can just ask somebody and they'll help me. Oh my God, what a disaster. I mean, you guys remember that? That he, he sets up somewhere, the signal's not good. He keeps going in and out. He, oh, they didn't know how to tell him. They didn't know how to help him. And uh, I think we, we did end up getting, uh, getting him on and chatting with him. But uh, yeah, humble beginnings, humble beginnings with this. But now we've, uh, we've got it down uh, pretty, pretty well. And uh, so, uh, you know, if you've got questions, like I said, you can see you got the little Q&A thing over here. I don't know if it's the same way on your screen, but I can I can see all the when everybody chimes in, I can see it. And if you got a question, if you just want to type in, you can do that. But I can also bring you up on screen, which is awesome. So uh, Casey is uh, with us, right, Casey? And uh, let's uh, I'm going to bring Casey up 
right now because then he can explain what we're gonna do. This is so much fun. I can't wait to see. We're we're stretching this crowdcast to the limit tonight. We're gonna do, we're gonna try everything. Okay. I think we can bring as many as four people on the screen, if I'm correct. Uh, Casey is gonna confirm that. And then we can also play the clip of uh, whoever the person is and we can stop it. And uh, if somebody wants to uh, bring in a Make a comment to it. Case, how are you? Can you hear me? I'm crooked. Can you hear me? You're crooked. Well, I never heard that. I thought you were a very honest man. I wouldn't think that. Uh, that would... <laughs> I meant on camera, Mooney. Oh, 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 oh! I got it. Okay. Uh, hey, where's your? Hand? Look how festive I am. I got the green shirt going. I got that. The, I've, the... I've got the green too. Okay. I right. just don't have, I don't have a, a hat. Bit. Yeah, I cleaned up a little bit since uh, I saw you last, so you look good. You look good. Okay, so we've got everybody here, Casey. Let's explain a little bit about what we can do with Crowdcast now. Uh, we can actually play clips, right? Yep. So what we're going to yeah. do is um, you're going you're gonna to pitch a clip. I put a bunch of clips together of uh, moments that I think were the best of this year on the show. Yeah. So what we're going to do was is- hard. It was hard. It, it was really hard for us to do that, to try and figure out. Well, what would be I, the best clips? Because there's so many. Right. I mean, I think I think I told you I had what 16 uh, clips made. You know, just because yeah. there was so much good stuff. So, yeah, so what we're gonna do is you're gonna you're gonna pitch a clip, and mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna play it. And and unfortunately, you're gonna have to look at a black screen for most of the screen, but that's okay because yeah, but we all- stay in the boxes, so you'll still be able right. to see it, exactly. right? And All right. we'll, we'll be able to uh, we'll be able to talk during it if you want and whatever. So, uh, so yeah. Anytime you pitch a clip, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'll load it and I'll play it, and we'll be able to hear it. All right. So uh, let's see. God, what should we start with? Hmm. Let's see. Um, oh, let's... you know what? What? Which one? Well, you got one in mind that you want to? Um. Let me look. I'm kind of looking through it. Um. Let's let's go old school. Let's start way back, okay? okay. And um, uh, let's start with that uh, Todd Pettengill, and it's, it's kind of a short. It's like four minutes long, Something talking like about that. his job interview uh, yep. with the WWF when he when he uh, came up to interview with Vince. Now, a little background on this uh, that I, I should give everybody. Um, you know, Todd Pettengill. Everybody uh, uh, didn't realize. Now he didn't you know, take over for me. They didn't bring Todd in with the idea that he was going to do the event center or, or do anything that I was doing. And, uh, you know, T- Todd was basically a comedian, very successful on the radio in New York. Uh, still, I mean, he, I think, I, I know he's getting close to finishing up there, but he's been on the radio with, Ke- I think it's WPLJ in the morning uh, show there for decades. He was doing it back then in 1980. Five from that point on or whatever. And they brought him on, I think in 90, uh, maybe 93, 92, because I was still there when, when Todd came in right. and uh, Vince really liked him in the way that Vince you know, found him was he listened to the radio in the morning and he liked the morning show with uh, him and Scott Shannon. And so he, uh, you know, called him up and said, would you be interested in doing some stuff for us? And he brought him in for a, an audition to see how he looked because he was a radio guy and they wanted to see if he could get in front of a camera and uh, be able to perform. So he uh, came up to Stanford from New York city to audition, like all of us had to do. Okay. So I, maybe that's a great place to start. So this is uh, Todd Pettengill talking, uh, Todd Pettengill talking about 
his job interview with the WWF. Okay, so here we go. Okay. We good to go? Yep, give me just one sec. All right. All right, while well, you're doing that, I just want to make sure that um, I'm not missing any questions here. Okay. Oh, boy. God, we got people checking in here. That's great. All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, that's exactly how it started and called me sort of out of the blue and said, this is Vince McMahon. And I said, uh, okay. Yeah. And he said, uh, listen, what do you know about wrestling? And I said, absolutely nothing. He said, perfect. How'd you like <laughs> to come up and audition to host a show? And I yeah. said, perfect. And <laughs> that's how it started. He said, I, I really want somebody with an outside perspective. I want somebody who, you know, comes in here and just, learns it as they go. And I, it's a fan, basically. I want a fan and you have a little bit of ability. So let's see how you do come up and audition. And that's how it started. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, Vince at that time was really, uh, you know, experimenting it, your story. And we just had Rob Bartlett on and I, I, uh, I'm sure you remember who he is. And of course he, he's a, was sure. a part of radio in New York with, with Imus. But it was kind of the same thing. I mean, Vince was a fan of, of the IMA show as well and had brought uh, Robin and he, he was the same way. Uh, but when you when you went up there, like when I, I was also an outsider outside, I didn't know what the hell I was doing when I first got there. Um, how did you prepare? I mean, he, he kind of gave you that and said, hey, uh, no, no problem. Now, you know, I don't care if you do nothing, but yeah. uh, I have a feeling that, you know, you're somebody who has always prepared in your career. What did you do to prepare for that that ride up to Stanford? <laughs> it was really strange, Sean, because I, I, I didn't know how to prepare. I mean, you couldn't cram yeah. uh, all kinds of knowledge into, I think it was literally a two-day period where he, he may have called me on a Tuesday and said, well, how's Thursday, you know, oh, wow. after your yeah. show? So I, I was like, okay. I mean, you know, what, what the hell did I know? I was like, sure, well, let's, let's do this. This will be fun. So I, I, they sent a town car, which, you know, Hey, for me, I was like, if I don't get anything else out of this, I get a ride in a town (laughs) car and you know, I'll meet Vince and this will be a fun day. So great story. I showed up. Yeah. So Hmm. I showed up, they, they brought me to, uh, to the studio and, uh, everybody. And I always say this was just, the nicest to me immediately. Uh, there were no, you know, no prima donnas. There were no, it was just salt of the earth people. And, and right on down from Vince uh, to, to the, you know, people that, that drove for them, just great people. So I, I was, was ushered into a studio where I think in typical Vince McMahon fashion, he put me on ice for a little while. He just wanted me to sit there and, look around and think about it. And I had done a little bit of television. I, you know, dabbled. Um, so I, I, you know, I felt like I was okay. And, you know, in radio, you, you have to talk, you have to sort of fill four hours. So you, you, you know, you can never really be at a loss for words, but I had no idea what to expect. I said, this guy asked me any wrestling questions. I mean, I'm done. I'm done. I have no idea what I'm doing. So in comes this uh, three-piece suit and, the, you know, you open the door and the shadow sort of, it was right out of a movie, you know. Yeah. It just, it was unmistakably Vince McMahon. And he walks in and he shakes your hand with that thousand-pound grip. Uh, that How he you doing, pal? Had. 
How you doing, pal? <laughs> you know, the slick back yeah. hair, and yeah. it was great. And he uh, he said, so, um, again, you, you don't know anything about wrestling? I said, well, no, nah, I mean, I, I remember you in your powder blue suit, you know, when I was yeah. surfing the channels, and he yeah. sort of laughed at that. And yeah. He said, all right, well, roll, let's roll the cameras here. And then he literally threw me a bottle of water and said, sell it to me. Mm-hmm. But you got to do it in two minutes even. So I sold him a bottle of water for two minutes. This is the best water I've ever tasted. This water comes from a spring that is far up in the mountains in Saratoga, New York. And I just went on and I riffed on it for two minutes. They gave me a countdown. I hit it. And he said, that was terrific. That was my interview. That's amazing. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that that, 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 uh, that is incredible that, that, uh, you know, Todd went through what everybody went through, but he also, the, the story he talks about in there uh, that uh, beyond that is, do you remember when he said then afterwards he uh, you know, they, other people were talking to him and then he went into the bathroom and uh, somebody was in the stall and he, I, I didn't smell very well because uh, very good because uh, um, well, Vince McMahon was in there. And uh, Vince had done all these supplements, was you know did all, did all these supplements, and just sounded off. I mean, just smelled awful. And Todd said he's in the stall there, and he said, "How about a courtesy flush, pal?" That's what Pettengill said. And he said, "I figured at that point either I was going to you know nail the job, or he'd have me escorted from the building." And Vince cracked up, and uh, the rest is history. So, <laughs> talking about a, a bit of a gamble there that he took, but. Uh, it looked like it, it it paid off for Todd, and he had a you know very successful time. He was there. I, I was trying to do the math, but I think he may have been there longer than I was there uh, for a period of time. You know, I think he I was there for five years. I think he was there for five or six years that he was uh, with the WWF. So mm-hmm. uh, very very interesting, and and uh, you know having conversations this year with both uh, Todd Pettengill and also. Um, Craig DeGeorge was awesome. I mean, I just really, really enjoyed uh, talking to those guys and uh, glad that we, I got the chance to track those guys down because it was, it was fun talking to both of those guys. And I had tried before. I tried to get a hold of Todd before, but I made the mistake of trying to do it through the radio station when um, he said, you know, you just could have called me. And I'm like, well, how the hell is I going to get your number? And he said that uh, the WWF has it. So... I don't know. Maybe I could have gotten through somebody else, but uh, I'm glad we ended up getting him. It was fun. I think, I think I think it was interesting. You know, he talks. He talked about how Vince threw him a bottle of water and said, "Sell it." Whereas you, did you? You talk about selling the broom or whatever. Yeah. Was that something you did, or was that something the same idea? No, no. That was some. That was uh, you know pretty standard procedure that I, I'd never heard of the water bottle a bit before, but it's the same thing that they throw you a broom and say, you know, you have no idea. It's just out of left field. And, and Vince was not in the studio with me when I did my audition. Like uh, it sounds like Todd, Todd was with uh, Vince. Vince was there, but I th- he was back watching, you know, from one of the booths back in uh, edit one, I think. And Bruce was the one who, who conducted my interview. And mm-hmm. uh, he's told the story about me selling the broom and, uh, Apparently I, I did a good job, but I don't, it's, it's really, it's a blur to me. That whole interview process was just a blur. Uh, maybe because I was just uh, nervous about it or whatever. I just kind of blocked it out, but I, I've told the story before. I just remember that I did a little skit at the end and I think that's what 
what uh, got Vince's attention because he figured out that I could think on my feet, you know, and just do something completely different than what they asked me. So mm-hmm. that was good. Um, guys, you know, chime in if you got any questions or if there's uh, an episode that you want to come on and talk about. Remember, we can do that. I see that Evan has joined us now, and I'm going to bring him in. Hello, Evan. Um, thanks for joining us. He's got a very busy holiday schedule. But uh, it's, you know, uh, going through the list of, of our guests, guys, and I don't know if you guys have done it, but, you know, I'm just, was going on, I went on uh, the iTunes, because I, I forget, it's all a blur to me. I Do you, you know, you think about the year, and I look at some of these uh, people that we had on, and like JBL, uh, we had him on in the first of the year. I think his episode uh, was dropped the 9th of January or something like that. But that just seems ages ago. I was thinking, no, no, that was that had to be last year. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we had JBL in January. Jerry Jarrett was with us. Uh, Savio Vega, uh, the Warlord. Remember that episode? That was uh, that was really fun talking with him. Uh, Joey Ryan, Beth Phoenix. I mean, we just goes on and on. So it was. Uh, it was a phenomenal year. What stands out to you, Casey? To, uh, what What are some of your favorite episodes? Um, well, you know, as far as the year goes, the one thing I was just thinking as you were naming all these people, uh, the one thing that I was thinking is that it's the year that we kind of, uh, I'll use the phrase broke through in that we finally got a lot of people that, you know, either the fans wanted to hear from or we wanted to hear from and were kind of elusive, like like Todd Pettengill. Or, you know, JBL or, you know, Rob Bartlett, things like that, right? Where, um, you know, either they don't do a lot of interviews or they're really hard to get a hold of or whatever. Um, So I think I think that, you know, to me is the highlight of the year uh, in in general. Now, if I had to pick a favorite episode, I'd have to kind of go through it. Sid wasn't this year, was he? No, I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah. No, but it still scares the crap out of me every time I think of it. So thanks for bringing that up. You um, laughing at me, Sean? You laughing? We're trying to get him back on, you know. And... Oh, I know. And and uh, one of his his people uh, actually called me and said, I just want to let you know that Sid knows that you want to talk with him and he's going to be calling you. So I, I haven't slept very well for like seven months now, wait, thinking that that you know, phone call is going to come because here's, you know, here's what I think of. If I answer it, then that's going to be weird. What if, what if I don't answer it? Then maybe I'll make them even more angry. You know, it's like, just what do I do? What do and, I do? So, and when you finally do get them, you'll spend an hour defending yourself. Well, I'm sorry. I was, I was, out. Yeah, I didn't, uh, no, 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 it will not be mentioned. It's, <laughs> it'll be the thing we don't mention. The thing that must not, not be uh, mentioned. Um, yeah. As far as, as far as my favorite episodes, um, I'm kind of looking through the list from this year. I think um, uh, Earl Hebner was probably at the top. Um, yeah, yeah, that was I, one of the top ones for downloads too. So uh, exactly. you weren't alone in that thinking. Um, you know, and and I like Nelson Swagler. Yeah, that was this year. Okay, um, yeah. because I'm kind of a uh, I'm kind of a TV guy, so I kind of I like hearing the behind the scenes of that kind of stuff. Um, I love the Diana Hart episode, which we, you know, have a clip of here. Um, let's see what else. There was one more. Oh, Scott Norton. Scott Norton's one of my heroes. Too, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. He was great. You know, and uh, that's one thing that I've really loved about the podcast is that, uh, you know, uh, initially 
you know, when I, when we wanted to get the big names, cause that was, we thought what people would want to, you know, would be attracted to listening to the podcast if we got these big names. And then I started to realize, well, these guys go on so many podcasts. There's nothing really unique. Um, of course I know that I, I, you know, I, I ask different questions and it's a different conversation, but they've also done, you know, so many different podcasts and they've told the same stories over and over again. And, and you, all, you most of you have to ask them because that's what they're remembered for. But uh, the response that we get for people that, that uh, don't appear on podcasts that often have, I, what I have made, what uh, this podcast has become uh, to me as, you know, very unique because we do have a lot of these people on that you wouldn't even think about having, um, you know, like you mentioned, Nelson Swegler, and then we had John Filippelli, which uh, did very well too, which was surprising because I didn't know if a lot of people would know his connection to the WWF. Uh, right. You know, I explained that it was going to be an interesting conversation because of that. It was a very unique period of time and what was going on in the WWF and to hear, like you said, that behind the scenes, the, uh, the stuff that people don't hear about, and I never had that conversation with John, um, you know, about what really happened, what was what was going on behind the scenes there, because uh, even though I was there, I wasn't privy to what was happening in that power struggle. And there really was it, it really was a power struggle going on with Bruce and and John and and uh, a lot of these people didn't like these outsiders coming in, and it was warfare, and uh, you know, it was all psychological, a lot of it, and uh, and verbal. But man, it was it was a, a strange time in the WWF. So he was one of the episodes that I really really liked. Um, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna bring Evan in too because I want to hear his thoughts because there's stuff that uh, I think that he can share. Um, let's see, what was your oh? Uh, but I do want also want to ask questions. There's uh, John has a question here for me. Uh, what was your experience with the old Boston Garden? I've heard it wasn't the best in the locker rooms, backstage area. Yeah, well. Those buildings were just really, really old, and that would include New York's Madison Square Garden, and those backstage areas were nasty. And you did hear stories about rats the size of cats. I mean, uh, I saw a couple there that would uh, that scared the living crap out of me. And uh, you, I mean, you <laughs> could lose a limb to some of those rats that crawled around in those buildings. But uh, one thing, though, that really stands out to me about the Boston Garden is that when they would have events there. Um, you know, it, they, it was, uh, the tradition was so rich there and pretty much every Boston garden show, killer Kowalski would come to the, to the, the garden shows and, uh, and hang out in the locker room. Uh, and, uh, this was a period of time where the, it was still, you know, very traditional that, uh, you know, people would come in and they would make their way down the line. Anybody that was in the locker room, they'd come and everybody would shake, they'd shake your hand every time they came in. And uh, Killer Kowalski was one of those guys, and, and uh, he was it, when he was there, it was like royalty had come into the locker room, and everyone had this incredible level of respect for him. And he was he, he liked to just go down there because he liked being around the boys, and he would you, you, you often see him over in a corner, you know, talking to one of the guys, maybe one of the newer guys in the business that was starting to make his way up, and he took the time to go and and uh, you know talk to these guys and give them advice. And uh, I just uh, really loved going up there. Those were, uh, we had really uh, fun trips. Lord Alfred and I would go up there and then we did a lot of those shows with superstar Billy Graham and we would take the train up. So that train ride was fun too. And after we, you know, go to the the show, we would go out to dinner and Tony Schiavone talks about this and he thinks one of, you know, one of his most favorite, uh, favorite memories was, 
going to those garden shows. He didn't he only did a couple of them, but you know, he talks about the one night that after the show, we all went to dinner at this Italian restaurant and got back on the, uh, the train and uh, went back down to New York City. And the, they, they were a lot of fun, those shows, because uh, there wasn't the pressure. You know, they, they were televised, of course, but it wasn't the pressure of the WWF. We were doing TV tapings and these were you know, local regional shows. There was a uh, Vince wasn't there <laughs> it was, and, and it was uh, it was laid back. And that's kind of the garden show was to. And I don't mean laid back, but not near the pressure that we felt when we were doing you know, the television taping shows and that where everything had to be perfect. Uh, I remember one night in my early days of doing play by play and uh, I signed off uh, and said the wrong name. I said something like uh, something like uh, for Sean Mooney, I'm, I'm superstar Billy Graham. Thanks for <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and we went off the air and I went, I didn't say that right. Did I? And they're all just laughing their ass off because uh, and that was one of the first ones I did up there. But uh, yeah, so Stands well, up. okay. You know, um, I have a couple of random questions about the Boston Garden shows. Okay. Um, uh, first off, I wonder how the boys felt about wrestling there because I believe me or correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that uh, in the early days, at least, they didn't have mats on the outside of the ring, so it'd be right on top yeah. of the basketball court. So I wonder. I wonder. You know. What well, it wasn't. They had a covering. It wasn't the floor. I mean oh. that I remember. But okay. uh, but it wasn't. They didn't have the big thick match. You're right about that. But uh, yeah, that was uh, you know talk about history and uh, you know knowing that that was uh, the Celtics. You know, like my God, you know you're playing. You're you're, you're in all the and you think about all the different sporting events that had happened at in that building. It's just pretty incredible. So where are you, Evan? I'm going to bring you up so that you can come on. Are you still with us? I think you're in here somewhere. But also, guys, uh, you know our our folks that are, are with us, I can bring you up too. So if you want to come on and share something about uh, the podcast or anything that's going on right now, uh, we'd love to bring you on. But uh, I, th- I'm going to just show you what we can do with this because I'm going to bring up uh, Evan now. You're going to see the whole team here. And I'd love to get his thoughts on the year. It's, you know, it's really, uh, and, and if you guys don't know, we're all over the place. Um, I'm out in Arizona. Casey's in North Dakota. And, uh, and Evan's in uh, upstate New York there. And hey, Evan. Massachusetts. Oh, you're in Massachusetts. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me where the hell he lives. Yeah. All good. Yeah. But, uh, but no, but anyway, we're spread across the country. And uh, thanks for coming on. And really, thanks. This is the team, guys. And these, these two are the ones that make it happen. Uh, just get in front of What's the up, microphone. Everyone? There, uh, but Evan, I really I wanted to ask you, you know, uh, get your thoughts on uh, what's on the year, and uh, you know, and what we've been able to do. Yeah, as um, yeah, it's been a big year for us. As as you guys were talking, I was looking back at the past kind of episode list and seeing which kind of episodes stuck out to me. I would say Tatanka and um, Corey Graves were two of my favorites. Um, can't believe Diana Hart was this year. It felt like forever ago that we had her on. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think we made, and you might have alluded to this, but I think we made a lot of headway in how do we get a hold of, of some of these folks. It was really through social media. Uh, it was kind of all hands on deck. However, we could get an email address or get a phone number to try to line some of these um, some of these either big names or elusive names up. So I think we've... I mean, I would 
I would compare our guest list to pretty much anybody out there. I mean, it's it's a pretty impressive list over the last two years. Um, it's pretty incredible to look at. Yeah, and you think about it that, uh, you know, there's uh, 52 weeks in a year, and uh, every Wednesday we were dropping an original episode, and I don't think we had many fill-in. I don't know if we ever really did, or, but that's pretty amazing. You think about the effort to uh, get all these people, and, and like uh, Evan said, it was however. It was through mm-hmm. uh, you know, tracking them down through Twitter, uh, somebody sending me an email on how to get in touch with somebody. A lot of our listeners uh, helped out, um, but mostly it's just you guys beating the bushes and uh, you know trying to and just sending out an email and saying, "Hey, would you be interested in coming on?" And we got uh, a lot of response, and I, I think it's helped that you know now we're gonna. God, how many, how long it's been now since we've been doing this? But um, after a couple of years. Um, you know, people know of the podcast, so that's made it mm-hmm. easier when you when you talk to them. They're like, "Oh yeah, I've listened to that." So, right. Um, but there's yeah. still a lot of uh, a lot of people on the list that we're still trying to get. We're still trying to track down uh, Rick Martell. We'd love to get him. Mm-hmm. Um, still trying to get Honky Tonk Man uh, because I worked with him a lot. Um, but uh, you know, we we we'll we'll stay after it. Yeah, for sure. And I will. I will just say that listeners have also helped as well. Um, Like the Sam Houston, we just had a Patreon member that set that up, that interview up. So it's a lot of work from this team, but also was the guy who helped us out with that one, right? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. So So we've um, had, we've had other um, kind of leads from, from listeners as well that um, yeah. So certainly appreciate that. Keep them coming. Yeah, and it's uh, just looking off the side here, people uh, chiming in on their favorite episodes. Uh, uh, we've got you know, Sean Jazz Stevens, uh, Harry Smith episode was that was a great uh, episode. I always love talking to Harry, and we've had it. We've we've spoken to him a couple of times, but also as you mentioned, Diana Hart, and that was uh, a while back, but it was it was it was this year. And man, mm-hmm. I think that that one might have been what we did about three hours with Diana. Mm-hmm. She had a lot of insight, and that's one uh, type of the con- type of conversation I really love is getting you know somebody else who has who was right in the thick of it, and getting their perspective because it's even different than even if you got that person. And Diana was so unique because she's part of the Hart family, so of course she grew up in that insanity um, up in mm-hmm. Calgary, you know, with the, with the Hart family, and then of course she uh, was Brett's. Uh, sister and then she ends up marrying david boy smith and then learning about that whole uh situation of how he came over and then how they met up and uh of course talking about SummerSlam 92 and what was happening there it was like one of the best episodes ever and people really really mm. enjoyed it that's mm-hmm. sure. all right let, what do we say we get to another clip and as i said uh you know if if everybody uh well, if you want to come on you're more than welcome we can do this we have the technology and I think, uh, Casey, what do we decide? We can actually get, can we get four people up on this, Evan? Yeah. So if you guys have questions for Evan or Casey, I'm, I told them I want them to be a part of this uh, conversation with us today. And uh, if you have any questions about, you know, how we do this or how we all hooked up and uh, we'd love to love to share. But otherwise, you know, I also want to play some of the, the highlights from this year and, uh, we just uh, heard that one one clip, and uh, with uh, Todd Pettengill. So uh, let's go to one of the uh, 
one of the uh, wrestler uh, interviews. And um, boy, let's see. Oh, uh, this would be. Well, how about you want to hear uh, Scott Norton and the and the talks about the trip to Korea, North uh, Korea? That was pretty good. Um, that I heard it was one one of the shows. Is that uh, the, is that that clip? Casey? Yeah, just automatically. Yep. Okay, so um, this is kind of a long one, but I think it's really interesting, and, and we have to get Scott back on because we got to hear more about what what happened with this. But uh, this is a this is part of the conversation we had with Scott Norton, and uh, he had a lot to talk about. Man, what an interesting guy! I mean, with the life that he came from, and um, you know the whole thing with the arm wrestling, right, with the championship uh, stuff, and he was, and then he's and then he's also connected to all those guys in Minnesota. You know, we've, we've mentioned that a few times, guys, where, you know, these guys uh, were part of that uh, Robbinsdale High School and uh, that, that, that area in Minnesota that all these guys became very, very famous wrestlers. Well, Scott Norton was also part of that group, but just kind of came in a different way. He wasn't, you know, starting out wrestling. He, he kind of came in uh, back door that they brought him in later. But uh, that was a great conversation. So let's just let's listen to this uh, clip from Scott Norton as he talks about a, a tour they took to North Korea, which was uh, pretty frightening. So go ahead, Casey. Uh, the story um, that I heard I, was one, one of the shows that you did, but you, you mentioned this, this tour to North Korea. And I was like, what the hell? Uh, can you give us, I, I imagine it's in the book, but whatever you could tell me about it, because I was just fascinated listening. I'm like, I, I got to hear more. Uh, tell it was us, awesome. I mean, what it, how did that story, How did that happen? When was it? And who was along? Well, it was 1995. Yeah. It was New Japan and WCW did a combined show over there. Yeah. Anoki was, you know, the guy's crazy, man. He's the greatest guy. Yeah. The most over-professional wrestler I've ever seen in my life. Uh-huh. He's just, he's a phenom. And the Japanese people love this guy. And I mean, and he's, you know, he fought Muhammad Ali that, you know, when Ali was the champ and, you know, he wrestled Ali and he fought water sports and whole nine yards. And he, he did some, you know, Noki's very, very popular guy, mm. especially in Japan, of course. He had this thing about a friendship tour in North Korea. <laughs> and he put it together. And I mean, uh, you know, Ricky Dozans from North Korea was pretty much introduced pro wrestling to Japan. And uh, one day we're in the locker room and Masasada come up to me and says, end of this tour, we go to North Korea. I said, what? Yeah, says, yeah North Korea. Huh? Really? <laughs> and I go, and I started thinking, I'm going, North Korea's got to, I mean, you know, I was, Young guy back then, I didn't really know what was going on, you know. And I yeah. just said, all right. You know, I mean, yeah. I trust Moss with anything. Yeah. And then Shoto uh, and, and a couple of the Japanese boys, Tenzan and Kojima, they're freaking out. North Korea. Yeah. You know, they want to kill us. I said, what? Yeah. And so, yeah, I started learning more about it. And, you know, communists. And we haven't been there since the Korean War and all this yeah. crap. And. We had no idea what we were expecting. Then Muhammad Ali was involved. And that was cool as hell. Yeah. So, you know, I started, you know, I started to feel better about it. I mean, because they're not going to mess with this guy, right? Yeah. And then Rick 
Flair, you know, was one of the guys, and Hawk got to go, and Benoit, and the Steiner brothers, and we got a, pretty yeah. much our whole crew besides yeah. the Korean wrestlers, because we had some Korean wrestlers that would have killed them if they got there. <laughs> and Jeez. serious. Yeah. And so, wow. anyways, when we get to North, you know, we take a bullet train up to uh, Nagoya, and then we're to catch the flight to North Korea. They sent a plane from North Korea to pick us up. Uh-huh. This plane one, I mean, to say it was held together by duct tape would probably give it too much. Thank <laughs> <laughs> God. I mean, this damn thing was a relic. And it, I mean, it was rattling there. I'm going, oh, why are we geez. even doing I mean, and, you know, we're flying along. And, you know, I mean, there's so many stories. The plane ride before and everything. Interaction with Muhammad Ali was just phenomenal. But the thing that happened in North Korea with with, pertaining to myself was when they wouldn't let us call home. And I just was married. I just got married. And my wife, you know, I mean, I haven't talked to her. And I, you know, I just left Japan right to North Korea. I mean, so finally, after three days, I finally kept trying to call, but the elevator was broke. I had to run down these stairs, seven floors, or go down the basement, give their operator the telephone number. They'd ring your room. So I'd have to beat my, you know, run all the way upstairs. Oh. By the time I could hear the phone ringing down my room, by the time I opened, when I opened the door up, the phone stopped ringing. Oh, jeez. And I did this. Every day, three, four times a day. So finally, three days, I make it. And I get my wife, my wife's on the phone. She's madder than hell at me. She accused me of going out partying and not going out of a relationship. I said, Tammy, I said, you don't understand. She is mad as, as you know, she's hot. And I says, Tammy, you don't understand what's going on here. And she just, I mean, she let me have it. I said, and all I said, I said, you don't know what kind of shithole this is. The phone went click. And I went, she hung up on me. I can't believe it. She hung up on me. So I'm sitting there in my room. I'm going, what the hell? Next thing you know, I get this banging on my door, and it was so hard. When I go to answer the door, I'm thinking about beating the guy's ass on the other side of the door. <laughs> That's how hard it hit the door. Yeah. And it was military guys, and this little dude that was assigned to me, and they started telling him, you know, what are you doing saying bad things about North Korea? You can't do that. I said, what? And they took me away. <laughs> And right down in the basement of the place, that right they walked me right past the operator place room where I was making these phone calls. It was like an under, underground tunnel. And they Jeez. brought me and put me in a room. And to <laughs> tell you that I thought I was done, yeah. I thought it was over. Wow. They were so mad at me. It was unbelievable. And this ain't even, this is just a little bit of a story. And I mean, it was crazy. And uh, it is, you know, the, the shows and everything that happened there was 
I mean, I'm glad I did it now, but man, I'll tell you what, what they put Ric Flair through is absolutely insane. But they want him to say in the speech. They're they like propaganda. They're what they. Yeah, I was. Rick was losing it. I had Rick <laughs> didn't get more than ten feet away from me or the Steiner brothers the whole time. I mean, he thought we're. He thought they were to kill us, and you know, I at one point in time I did too. <laughs> and you know the shows. You know, there are 195,000 people at these outdoor shows. It's just, you know, crowd was amazing. The uh-huh. crowd size, they, they were mad because we weren't killing each other. I mean, they wanted people dead. <laughs> it was just different. But, you yeah. know, I mean, it, I could tell you more, but, it, you know, it's in the book and it's, a, it's, you know, Eric Bischoff did a tweet the other day. He said, you really want the real story? What happened in North Korea, you, you need to read this guy's book. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it's in there. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. But it was, that's... you know, we did it, you know, and it was cool. You know, we did, you know, I got to, I got to work a main event first night with Hashimoto for 195,000 people, you know, and I just, you know, I was basically five, six years into the Jeez. business. and. You know, I, I never thought I'd wrestle in front of, you know, anything like that. And, you know, there's a lot of things that happen throughout your career and certain kind of surprise, you know. I mean, uh, you, you know, I mean, me and Hawk worked in a, in a Tokyo Dome one time. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, 77,000 people sold out show. Jeez. Here's me and my high school partner, buddy, yeah. best uh, friend. And we're out there trading paint like a couple madmen. And we did this double clothesline spot where we just about killed each other. <laughs> and I mean, we panned out, we laid out on the mat. And Hattori, when we hit each other, he went, oh my God. And he started counting. He goes, one, are you okay? <laughs> You know, he's doing the 10 guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm laying there, and Hawk's laying there, and he, he's pointing one way, I'm pointing the other way. And I just remember my chest going up and down, and I know I got a concussion. <laughs> just, the, you know, I mean, I'm just knocked, and all of a sudden Hawk goes, Hey, Nordy. And I says, Yeah, Mike. He goes, Could you imagine how much I would have hurt if we didn't eat, didn't love each other so much? <laughs> <laughs> And here's two guys went to high school together, yeah. laying in the middle of the ring for the seventy some thousand people, and we just got this, you know, this little pause for a minute. We're just, kind of, oh, that's awesome. we're just talking back and forth. It was unbelievable, you know what I mean? It's just, it's crazy what this, you know, the experiences in the business and things that you think about or you know, experience, you know. That was a great clip. And, uh, you know, he talks about, I mean, I want to get back to that North Korea trip. And uh, like you said, they didn't really know what the hell they were getting themselves into. And I I guess it was just an absolute disaster. And Ric Flair, he said he'd never seen him. uh, You know, it was like he was a different person. He was scared out of his mind that they would never make it out of the country. And uh, I guess, uh, you know, like I said, we got to get him back now that the book is out there. 
and uh, really get the inside story now that he can talk about it. And we will. But uh, I love the part that he that we also kept on there when he talks about Michael Hegstrand, uh, Hawk, that, you know, like I said, he was one of those guys that grew up with them in, um, you know, and in, uh, in that area of Minnesota. And they were buddies and they got him into the business. Hawk and those guys are the ones that got him started. And uh, here they are at this at this event with, you know, 70 something thousand people there in the center of the ring. And they do that double clothesline and they kind of look at each other. And he says, you know, if we didn't love each other. But he also went in to talk about, you know, that here they were, these two kids, you know, 20 somethings with nothing. And here they are, uh, you know, among the, the elite in the world of professional wrestling. And, uh, you know, they got to do it. So that was uh, that he was a great guest. That was a great get uh, having him on. Uh, Alex Andrew uh, makes mention of Rick Bogner, and that was another uh, great uh, get that uh, we were able to put together. I don't know if Casey, if you got him or Evan did, but uh, as you know, he was uh, the fake razor as uh, he was known, but um, uh, a really a great conversation. And after he passed, which, uh, you know, was really sad to hear about that uh, we put that episode back up again. Uh, absolutely commercial free, whatever. I just wanted everybody to, who had never really gotten a chance to hear his side of uh, that whole story, got an opportunity to do that. And really it was a great, great conversation of him talking about it because I think a lot of people think that he was some jobber guy they got who happened to look like Razor Ramon, but the guy paid his dues, man. And he was, uh, he was a badass, a, a martial artist who had competed all over the world in different martial arts uh, competition. And then, had worked in the business. And I think that who knows if it would have been a different opportunity that, uh, you know, that he may have been a lot more successful with a company like the WWF or, uh, you know, something, some other organization that was big, but that kind of, uh, you know, stuck with him. And uh, Kane was able to go on, you know, he was fake diesel, but he had done other things. And then of course, when he became Kane, that very, you know, nobody could even remember it. It's just kind of a footnote, but, uh, Rick was always remembered as uh, the, you know, fake razor. But uh, I'm really glad that we got got him uh, on the podcast because that's uh, people can always go back if they want to know the real story from his side. Anyway, uh, they should take a listen to it. So, you know, that's stuff. that's one thing that you know I've noticed about our show this year is all of the interviews that we got that we didn't know what they were going to be. You know, yeah. We didn't know how good they were going to be or, or if they were going to be boring or if people wanted to hear them, you know. Um, There's so many interviews that we got this year, including Rick Bogner, you know. Um, like, I don't know. You know, I, I you're right. People think of him as fake Razor. And I was kind of thinking – I thought that way too. That's yeah. all I really knew about him. And yeah. I'm like, how is that going to be interesting? He was in the WWE for six months or whatever, two years, something like that. Yeah. But – but then you go on to, he talks about being in Japan. He talks about, uh, you know, going to, ECW. yeah, he did. He was really popular over in Japan. I mean, he was yeah. uh, part of that. I think they did an, an NWO over there that he was a part of and, uh, you know, was really over uh, in that part of the country. So yeah, it was fascinating. I think that a lot of people that, uh, you know, took a listen to it, maybe they just listened to it because it was a new episode. But I think when they, when that was over, they're probably like, wow. You know, I had no idea. I, and I really, I love that. Uh, I think there's a lot of episodes that are here on uh, primetime that, uh, you know, you may have heard these guys' names or think you knew the story about them. And then by the time you're done listening, you you, you have a completely different 
a take on who uh, that person was and how they impacted uh, professional wrestling. And I see uh, David Porty has joined us. David, thank you so much. I'm gonna, I can bring you up on screen if you want to come up because I'd love to chat with you. Um, we're going to sh- have some more clips. And uh, anybody else who wants to come on board, uh, come on and say hello. We'd love to have you come up. But uh, we'll get to another clip in a second. But I did want to bring David up. David has been uh, really helpful. If, if you guys have uh, um, you know, uh, been listening to our network classics, and a lot of that insight that I get uh, for this uh, for those episodes is provided by David, who is uh, he's like a savant, I think, when it comes to the WWF and WWE. And I'm I'm as interested as anybody else to find out like, where the hell did he contain all this stuff. So uh, hopefully we can bring him up. Uh, there he is, David. Oops, you were there for a second and we lost you. Let me try and uh, do it again here. I'm going to invite you, and uh, just all you have to do is accept the invitation. Hopefully, you'll come up on screen with us. But have you guys been enjoying the network classics that we've been doing? David, are you there? Can you hear me? I am here. All right. <laughs> Dude, how are you? I am pretty good. Say hi to everybody. we got a uh, good group of folks here tonight with us. Hi, David. How are you? Happy I am, holidays. I am doing good. Yeah. Hey, uh Right off here, dude, where in the world did you get so much knowledge about the WWF, WWE? I mean, are you just uh, somebody who just have loved the, the World Wrestling Federation, World Wrestling Entertainment forever? Or is this professional wrestling? Or, I mean, really, tell me about how this all started. I remember back in the you know, 80s, early 90s, I used to... We lost your microphone there. Where you got to get uh, something, cover it up? Or... Can you hear me? Uh little better. You were great before. I don't know what happened. All right, you can't hear me. Oh, now I hear you good. Okay, go ahead. No, I just, I just remember. Uh, I, I remember back in the eighties, early nineties when uh, video stores were the thing. I mean, I, you know, I, I just remember going from, you know, going, you know, every video store I could find, searching for those Coliseum videos, and, uh, you know, they, they had a lot of, you know, tapes like the history of the WWF Championship and the history of the intercontinental champion that's and i kind of seeked out the history and then i you know later i discovered the wrestling observer newsletter and i used to go online and buy back issues from you know from like the 80s and you know try to learn as much as i could so that's kind of how that started yeah i mean are you just really good at uh remembering uh history or do you have to go back in your uh, files People tell me that I have this amazing memory, so maybe that has something to do with it. But I, I remember when I was a kid, my, uh, my my parents used to tell I used to tell me that I should be doing, uh, you know, the uh, remember the update segment with uh, either either Lord Alfred Hayes or Gene Okerlund would do the update right. segment on. Yeah, yeah. Remember my my parents would tell me that they could picture me doing that someday. So, huh? you know, yeah, maybe the network uh, might might need you if they ever get smart <laughs> and. Uh... Because I think that there's a lot of people that just love the history. And it's really, you send me these notes, folks. I'll, I'll, I'll send them uh, even the night before. I'll say, now, David, I'm doing uh, you know, Tuesday, Titan, uh, Tuesday Night Titans on. Like the one we've got coming up this Monday is February 1st, 1985. And uh, he, the stuff you send me is just so interesting because there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. And, and I, I don't know where, if you obtain that from a lot of the Meltzer newsletters or uh, – I don't know where where else you got it, but it's really interesting stuff, and I'm uh, hoping that. Right. I think well, the one really the one thing the one thing that uh, when I was I sent you this last one, I was like, 
there was a Steve Lombardi match, and I'm like yeah. thinking, but I want to point out that all the other gimmicks he had in the WWF, like Abe Knuckleball Schwartz, and he was doink when uh, after Matt Bourne yep. quit, you know, yep. and or uh, or is he gonna wrestle so so many times that it's gonna be repetitive where you you know keep saying the same story over and over again? So I think I excluded it that time. But, well, uh, yeah, but uh, a lot of times, you know, I uh, I used to think the same thing, but um, sometimes people don't catch an episode. So, you know, if it's worth repeating, then, uh, and I think it's interesting a lot of times, they'll just say, yeah, you may have heard this before, but, and uh, I know if everybody remembers or many people never even were following the WWF that early because these these uh, started, I think, in 85. And, well, well, yeah, it's like uh, I actually yeah. didn't start watching till maybe late 86. But, you know, like I said, I used to go to video stores and track down Coliseum videos from like the best of the WWF volume one. You know, they, they would yeah. come out with three videos like every three months at that time. So like bloopers, bleeps and body slams, best of the WWF one and uh, Hulkamania one were the first yeah. three videos. And I remember bloopers, bleeps and body slams had all that old TNT stuff. So that's. That's where I saw TNT. TNT was kind of dying out when, you know, I started watching. So, I mean, yeah. You know, like I say, as we go to them, I mean, they're, they're so bad, they're good. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, lot, really, lot they, talk about cringeworthy television. It was just, but it's so much fun to watch because one thing that was great about it is, uh, you know, I just remember these personalities from back then. And, and uh, like this one that's coming up that uh, this week. Uh, is that, as I mentioned, the uh, February 1st episode, and you've got Don Morocco on there and Bobby Heenan, and uh, the, that Steve Lombardi match uh, with yeah. Morocco, I th- he's in there. It's, I think that's the one. But um, Jesse is is the commentator with Jack Reynolds. Jack Reynolds, yeah. That was, and, that was when he was starting out. Yeah, and he was not good. Uh, you could tell <laughs> like he was the, he was just starting to do commentary, and it was before he found his groove, and that's what I, I love seeing these new episodes because, or these old episodes when they were brand new, because you know Bobby hadn't been with the WWF for very long. Jesse had was making that transition out of the out of the ring uh, to being a, a the, you know the commentator, and uh, you know there's a there's a point in this match. Do you remember where um, Morocco his his finishing move was a pile driver, and Jesse calls it a double shoulder. <laughs> breaker or something like that and like, well, if, if, he's, he, yeah. watch like uh wrestlemania if you listen to jesse on wrestlemania one and then you listen to him on yeah. wrestlemania three it's different jesse oh so, yeah absolutely because yeah. he got that confidence and and i've said it many many times that um i was ne- i was never never been a fan of vince doing play-by-play never liked his play-by-play it's just, it's just <laughs> so over the top but him and jesse worked and actually if you if you watch some of those um Early, they've got some on the network. If you watch some of those, like Madison Square Garden shows from like the late seventies or early eighties, he's he's not yeah. over the top. He's totally different. I think, yeah. I think uh, actually when he started to get over the top, that Andre the Giant SD Jones match that is on the oh, God, God, yeah. where he says Andre, you know, has been raped of his dignity. I think that's Dig- when he yeah, and he kept saying it over and over. Again. Yeah, that's when I think. I think that's when yeah. he started to, you know, I don't know. Maybe yeah. he saw himself as being more of like maybe instead of a straight up and out an entertainer. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I thought him and Jesse would, when they got, when they hit that, uh, that's their stride, they were, I thought among the best. And I didn't like Vince with other people. I didn't like Jesse with gorilla 
But when he was with Vince, it just worked because he had that disdain for Vince, which may have been a shoot or whatever, but it worked. You know, he could yeah, shut up McMahon or, you know, that whole thing with you would, how would, what would you know? You've never stepped in the ring, you know, and it was just, it worked that dynamic of between the two of them. You know, uh, you, know what I, you know what I thought well. didn't work was I, when Jesse left, they replaced him with Piper. I didn't yeah. think Vince and Piper were very good together. Just, yeah. you know, yeah. And, yeah, and, well, David, really, I, I want to thank you, though, for, uh, you know, uh, helping us out and really providing the insight. And I, I said, I'll keep doing these as long as people want to hear them. And uh, you certainly are a- helping add to it because uh, a lot of it's a blur to me and stuff will come back to me when I'm and uh, I'm glad you, you, you well, like. Why uh, did you start with me. Tuesday Night Titans um, in 19? Did you just pick a random date or did you just think, OK, they're one hour in 1985. So it's, you know, well, you- we just, you know, uh, we just. Are, are going with what's available on the network and yeah, they've got they the whole up. run except one episode. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So we've got, but there's superstars up there. I hope they put some challenge up there. That would be fun. Oh, no, the interesting thing was, uh, well, okay, here's, there's a couple of things with that. So superstars, there was a lot, I don't know if you knew about this, but there was a big lawsuit over the name superstars wrestling. So yeah. Then, oh, yeah. yeah. So in 1992, they changed it to just superstars Right. And I think, and the guy who owns the re- the trademark Superstars Wrestling, at one point he was asking millions of dollars, like five million dollars, to for WWE to buy that. So that's why they start. They just jumped to 1992 because legal reasons. And Wrestling Challenge, first year and a half, Mel Phillips was the uh, ring announcer for that show. And some of those WWE networks, they will edit out every shot of Mel Phillips. It's strange because, I mean. Chris Benoit, yeah. they they don't edit Chris Benoit out, but they edit out uh, Mel Phillips so, Mel on Phillips. some stuff. Some stuff they don't yeah. like. On one of the Coliseum videos, they they edit out that uh, on the most embarrassing moments Coliseum video. They edited out that uh, angle where Terry Funk beats up Mel Phillips, but it's in on the Saturday Night's Main Event. Right. Thing. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. And I so guess I'm guessing that he, just depends on who's doing he the beat editing. Beat the crap out of him. Maybe that's why they liked it, but. <laughs> Yeah, as if you got if many people remember that uh, Mel Phillips was the ring announcer and he was uh, embroiled in that. Uh, Do you know him very scandal. well, Mel Phillips? Uh, I didn't. Not really. I mean, the, the, he was really a, a big part of the road crew. He came to TV, but he didn't do a whole lot there. So I didn't. And he would do some of the. I know he would like do the garden shows once in a while, Boston. But I think uh, he was. I think he was no. more of a Philadelphia guy. But I mean, like yeah. WrestleMania yeah. three, he was the timekeeper. You know, so I mean, I. I always thought that he had, you know, that he was yeah, at like of, most of the shows. An ugly chapter. All right, David. Well, thank you so much for coming yeah. on. And, and again, thank you for uh, helping us out. And we're going to keep doing the episode. So I hope you'll keep uh, uh, helping okay. us uh, get through these. All right. All right. Thanks for being with us. All right. I'm going to take right. you down there. Anybody else wants to come up? We'd love to have you. Uh, we're going to do uh, another clip here. Uh, Case, why don't you want it? You got one you want to choose here that. Uh, that we can put up. Uh, that... Let's see. Let me look at what we have. <clears throat> I know I have some of my own favorites here, but uh, I would say maybe Diana, uh, Diana Hart talking about uh, SummerSlam 92. I know somebody put a question up there about uh, SummerSlam and I've, I've uh, talked many times. That is one of my absolute favorite uh, pay-per-views uh, mm. just because, you know, we went to the UK and Alfred and I had a blast uh, there and and then also just what was going on at the time with the you know the the mystery of what was going on with uh, Davy Boy Smith 
And there was all these rumors floating around uh, even back then about what was going on with him because he disappeared over the summer. And Brett tells the story of how, uh, you know, he heard from Jim the Anvil that uh, Davey was doing uh, a bunch of drugs and uh, Diana totally discounts that, says that, uh, you know, that everybody knew that he was suffering. He had a really, really bad infection, a staph infection in his leg, in his knee. And uh, that had, uh, he was, they'd done, you know, put 16 different kinds of antibiotics in him and that was what was keeping him down. But regardless of whatever the hell was going on then, uh, if you watch that pay-per-view and, uh, you know, it's, it's whatever, the fact that what he was able to do that day is just a, a uh, you know, a, a, a slice of, of, of human performance that has got to be remembered forever because if he was, had been doing drugs all summer or, you know, uh, was in that terrible, bad of shape, had not been in the ring. If, as Brett tells the story, they didn't even go over the match, uh, and, and really. And then he, like the night before was the first time he talked to him. And then he said, before they went out there, uh, Davy boy basically said, I don't remember a thing. And, and that he, and that, uh, Brett carried him through the match, whatever happened. It was pretty amazing, but let's hear right now from Diana as she tells that story from her point of view, uh, what happened that uh, summer and leading up to that match. Well, uh, you know that's twofold. <laughs> I know go down to my go to my grave, um, testifying or whatever, swearing that Davy was not on drugs mm-hmm. in that match, and. Um, if he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does, I mean, how great does that make Davey? Like, I mean, I don't like Even if it wasn't, even just the physical condition that he, I mean, this coming off whatever that period of time of being that sick, uh, as you described. He he was, I I just think, you know, Brett, get, Davey had a lot of great matches, so don't act like, you know, the only great match he ever had was because you apparently called every spot in the ring and, you know, shame on you for getting caught on camera talking because if you're the, you know, great pro, you don't, you don't get seen talking, you know, you just, but um, he, I don't recall Davey saying I'm fucked. I don't recall that. And there's no way for me to ever know that that was said, but um Brett makes out like Davey was a complete uh, zombie and he carried him through that. It's like, well, if he was, look at the, what a job. Like Mm. Davey, look at like, oh, you know, that guy was on drugs and he did that match. He was suffering from a staph infection for six weeks and, and completely out of it. And he had that match. Like I would say hats off to Davey boy Smith more than hats off to Brett. But, it takes two to yeah, have. No, that's exactly right. And and those two, I mean, it, it was, to me, it's one of my favorite matches of all time. And uh, as we mentioned, and I was there and I did that, uh, the interview at uh, Brinkside. And I have to tell you, though, uh, genuinely, I could see the stress on you. And, yeah. Uh, because of, of everything. You, know, you got your, your brothers in there. It is the biggest stage in the world. Uh, Davy Boy was one of the, not just, I mean, he was known around the world, but he was uh, probably the the greatest known uh, superstar uh, athlete in England at the time. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't want to uh, look bad. 
And I remember at the end of that, uh, seeing you in there, and I said, that, that is as genuine as it gets. Uh, that, and maybe you can describe the moments when that thing was over, but uh, what, what were you thinking at that time when, when it was over and that place just went uh, insane? Ah, I was, uh, couldn't believe it was over because I didn't know how it was going to end. And then when it was finally over, it was yeah. like, thank God, yeah. you know, Davey's, Davey's still standing and Brett's okay. And uh, you guys pulled it off so uh, immaculately yeah. and uh, perfect is imperfect. You know, like it, it, it's like it was flawless, but there, I liked that there were, uh, uh, you know, little things like I think, Davy dropped Brett on the top turnbuckle, and it was sort of a ouch. And uh, um, Davy didn't see Brett coming off the through the ropes to jump on him, and he got. I mean, it just it was so real. Like yeah. I, I love, like, like the, you know, the. I wish there was more of that in wrestling now. And they went for such a long time, and they, and it was so well paced, and um, there was a legitimate storyline there too, like. You know, like the, I was torn between my brother and my husband, and I did did want Davy to win, but I, you know, I did I did hear things at home in Calgary before anything happened with before the staff infection, just stuff from my mom about, uh, you know, like it's, it's too bad that you know I I don't blame my mom. It was, but she just she said it's too bad that uh, you know Brett won't be winning the belt and. I said, are you guys going to come to England? And she said, no, Brett um, said it wouldn't be worth it for us to go. And I was like, why? <laughs> why would you go? I, it would be, and you know, why? why? Like, But, you know, there was a, there was some tension there because I, I do think my mom was a little bit, um, don't know how to say it but i i think she kind of wished it was she didn't always see things the way my dad did from the like the promoters even though my mom was so such a integral part of it she didn't she wasn't involved in that part of wrestling she knew every you know everything else about you know running the business but my dad could see the you know the obvious you know, but but as Brett said, it was a match where two guys went in, and you honestly didn't know who was going to win. But I, you know, my dad, I think, would love to have been there to see to see Davey win or see Brett win, just to to have been there and, and watched it from ringside. And that kind of thing wouldn't really have appealed that much to my mom. Um, you know, she did get quite involved with things later with Brett, but. Uh, kind of with the rest of us, it was a little, um, she didn't seem to quite have that passion for it. Um, for whatever reason, I, I'm not sure, but, you know, she was a behind the scenes sort of, um, uh, part of the wrestling. So, um, but I, I, I was torn though. I really was. And that would, that's not just a, a line to, so I can legit legitimize things it, I really was concerned about both and I mm-hmm. you can't have them both win and I did want Davy to win I thought that would be you know so fantastic to have it happen in England and his mom and dad there to see it and they had 
struggles of of their own and they you know they had a hard life and for harry and georgia and i just thought you know it's you know i didn't know brett would later get the world's belt so i did kind of feel bad that we were taking you know this coveted prize away from brett to put on on davy but um at the end when it was all done i i went in and uh i wasn't aware of anything where Brett told Davy not to get out of the ring or, you know, not to look to the crowd. I, I don't know what he's talking about there. I heard some interview with him talking to Steve Austin and, you know, it, he even called Davy stupid and said, you know, he was being so stupid. He's looking to the crowd and it's like, what, what, this was, this what, was what, yeah. yeah. Like, what, what the heck? Well, I know how this works too, though. I mean, him t- taking Brett's belt, I mean, it just enhanced Brett's career too. I mean, it it, it was great for both of them. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it, it really it was. was. That um, the way that it finished, it wasn't like Davy that Brett got robbed or anything. Like the fans were were like right on Brett. Like they were so happy for him. I think they were not happy that he lost, but they had so much respect for how you know the, the he and Davy did this. You know, did this and first main event. Uh, ever that wasn't a world title and their first pay-per-view not main event but mm. first pay-per-view that wasn't um world's title and there was some uh you know nitpicking in the background leading up to that about that brett and davy shouldn't be main event and oh, yeah. the world felt always always his main event and uh so i knew that they had a lot to to prove and i was also so worried about Davy's leg. Wow, that was a, a great, a great clip with uh, Diana Hart Smith, uh, really getting her perspective on what happened. You know, with uh, with um, you know Davy Boy Smith and her brother Bret Hart, and it really, you know, uh, who knows what the real story is? Maybe it's somewhere in between, because uh, you know, I also talked about the uh, the situation with uh, Bret Hart when I did the, um, you know, the episode or uh, we did the StarCast uh, show and uh, he still stands by everything that he, you know, says happened with that, uh, that match. And uh, Diana Hart uh, Smith stands by what she has to say. So, but regardless how you, uh, you know, whatever the story is, what an incredible match that was. And uh, really at the time, uh, Davy Boy Smith was huge, and there was a lot of that emotion going on because nobody wanted to look bad. He didn't want to have a bad performance out there. And as uh, Brett uh, Hart tells the story that when they got in there and they locked up and did like one of the first moves, and he said to Brett, I'm fucked, and uh, <laughs> whatever happened, man, he, they pulled it off. And I've watched that match several times because now I'm, you know, after that, I'm really paying attention, trying to see where Brett was talking to him and you know, uh, telling them about the next sequence or whatever they were doing. And there's a few points, but that could be also taken that, you know, the guys talked to each other throughout a match and it, uh, it, it really was a, a great, a great uh, matchup. And, and then having Diana on and her telling that story and many, many others. And, and uh, at this point, you know, we had uh, Georgia Smith on Davy boy's daughter. And we, of course, we've had Harry on a couple of times. And that family has never, ever recovered from the loss of Davy Boy. Uh, they just never have. And you think about how young Davy Boy was at the time. 
And uh, Harry was, I think, 17, and Georgia was 15. And there's just a big hole in them. And, and Diana's the same way. She's just never, never recovered. I mean, they've gone on with their lives, but there's that big hole that, that has always remained with them. Um, so that, uh, that was a great kid. We got it. We got a bunch of them, uh, to go still Casey. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. We're already over an hour here. How fast this has gone by, but, uh, I want to get to another one and then I want to bring somebody else in. If somebody wants to come up, Sean jazz Stevens, if you want to come on and, uh, share, I know you've got a lot of, uh, experience in professional wrestling that maybe you want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, your story and some of the things that stand out to you. But um, I'm just looking through and I want to make sure, because I said we pulled a bunch of cups. I don't know if we're going to get to all of them, but we definitely have to get to this one, Casey, uh, the the, uh, the clip with Earl Hebner, uh, since we're kind of heart related here and, uh, and his, uh, his take, uh, his explanation about the screw job. And we learned a few things in that conversation that I, I certainly hadn't heard before. I think you remember, but, um, you know, uh, when I talked to Earl, I basically told him, I mean, can you imagine being in that situation where you're very close to Brett and he even pulls you aside and he sees him on that plane and he says, you know, don't screw me, you know, don't, don't count, you know, don't count me out. Don't whatever. And, uh, According to Earl, he he didn't know at the time they hadn't pulled him aside. But even but regardless, what do you, what do you do in that situation where uh, it's you got a company you're working for? They tell you you need to do this, and then you've got a guy who you know is going to be leaving, uh, no matter what happens. It's either going to be you or somebody else. And if he doesn't do what they tell him to do, then he's out of a job too. And does that mean is Brett going to take care of him? I mean, so. Uh, he could say, and, and he kind of basically says, yeah, you know what? That's really what it came down to. But let's listen to this clip with Earl Hebner as he talks about the Montreal screw job. And he said, I, he said, do me a favor. Don't count me out. Don't, don't count me out. I said, Brett, keep your shoulders up and you're cool. Mm-hmm. We're not counting you out. And I didn't. But right, but it's kind of splitting hairs on it. I mean, Earl, with with uh, right, you know, right. Saying well, that. I agree with you on that. Yeah, right. But see, the thing is, nobody talked to me the whole day until I was going to the ring. Right. And I had about ten minutes before that next match was over, and Briscoe grabs me to the side, and says, "Vince wants you to do this. Vince wants you to do that." And I go, "How come nobody said nothing to me all day? This is yeah. full BS." Okay. Yeah, he goes, well, well, everybody's uh, everybody's uh, bug, this, that, and the other, blah, 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 blah. And he said, well, are you going to do it? I said, I don't know. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do right now, to be honest with you. He goes, well, Bert's got a $3 million deal with uh, WCW. Uh, is he going to give you any of that money? And, and then uh, that was about it. And. And I, I tell you what, walking to that ring was like 10 miles. Of pressure. Oh, boy, I bet. And I'm going, oh, God, what am I going to do? Uh, this, that, and the other, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and then if you go back, like I told everybody that's ever asked me this question, like you did, if you go yeah. back and look at that tape, Vince and Sergeant Slaughter was at that ringside. Yeah. So regardless of whether I rung the bell or not, it was going to be rung. 
But I well, yeah, and, and Earl, you were in a an awful position. I mean, what what the hell were you oh, going to yeah. do? It was like, do I give up right. my job, or and you know, and it might, is is Brett going to take care of me, or <laughs> you know, what I, I got to work? I mean, it really came down to right. I mean, I know you talked right. you've talked about you know about the boys and and in the business and and uh, right. You know, at the time, Brett was you know being selfish, but you know, Brett claims that. Uh, that it had nothing to do with him giving up that belt on Canadian soil. It was the fact at the time, because they've also reconciled since then, that um, it was about him not respecting him and in other conversations right. we had before. So, uh, you know, but for you, didn't it? I mean, it really just came down to were you willing to give up your, you know, give up this job because I'm going to get fired if I don't do this? Right. I mean, hey, Brett's got his living. I got to make man. Yeah. And, and like you said, it was going to happen. But getting back to that, that conversation out. you guys had that you had before you got there, um, uh-huh. it seemed like Brett knew something was up, right? Right. Well, he he knew something was, yeah, you, you could say that. Was so up, you're thinking because exactly you didn't what. know anything about this, right? I mean, at, at that point, you had nothing, no idea. Were you thinking? Were you thinking? There's no way they're going to do that. What were you thinking? Well, I, he just didn't want me to count him out. One, two, three. Okay. Yeah. And I wasn't going to do that. I said, just keep your shoulders up. I have, and it's not going to happen. Yeah. But the thing is, think about this. And I've thought about this uh, for 20 years. Or more. <laughs> Why would you let a guy put you in your finish hole to begin with? Why would Brett let Sean put him in the sharpshooter? Yeah. And that's your finish. Why would you yeah. do that? Well, I think you that thought was, about that. Yeah, part of the magnitude of what this match was supposed to mean, but. Um, uh-huh. You know, that's that's a really good point. And but it was supposed to be, you know, very early in the match. And when, you know, you, you look back on it, did you think that, like I said, Brett thought something was up. But were you thinking they're not going to do that here? I mean, it'll you know, did you think that oh they'll DQ it or something and then they'll finish it? Like he said, he'll he'll give up the belt two days later. Or, were you, or did you think in your mind, you know what, they they just might. I just, I didn't know really what to think, honestly, no. until I was told what to do. But it, it uh, and still today, it, the thoughts that run through my mind, did Sean know, did Brett know, or mm. what was going on? I have no, I have no idea. Yeah, I, think uh, really? I think Sean knew. I think Sean knew. I will say that. Brett, I'm not 100% sure, but but what pulls me is why would he let him put him in his own sharpshooter finish? And, and you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, well, it, he had to be. He he had to be. I mean, if somebody was gonna put me in their finish, if I was gonna put my finish on somebody that I was working with and it was their finish, I would think twice or ten times. Why am I doing this? This crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's not going to work. Because yeah. that's more embarrassing than if he just beat you out straight. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
Well, it's so amazing what came out of all that. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, the way, it, it, if you look back at the way it played out storyline-wise and wh- how it changed the industry because that led to, you know, Vince becoming the the super heel that he became. And, um, but you paid a price for it too because that that was on you forever, uh, you know, huh. with, with the fans. And, you know, I mean, you had Dave with a car, so you get the hell out of there, you know. And uh, Right, right. The, the repercussions of that, I mean, you couldn't even go to Canada. Was it uh, the notoriety of that a good thing or a bad thing, looking back? I'll tell you it was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing is, I, I couldn't go to Canada for a long time. Yeah. And, and they, you know, like Vince said, I'm not sending you back to Canada on that TV because you got more heat than anybody in the building, all, <laughs> all the talent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was bad. And then I had this, I don't know, idiot guy called me up, a promoter there, wanted me to come over there and do a match and duplicate the finish the Brett had. Oh, God. <laughs> and I said, oh, you got to be, you got to be an idiot. Yeah. You know, yeah. he said, I'll pay you good money. I go, buddy, you ain't got enough money to send me back over there. <laughs> yeah, that was a great conversation with Earl. Very, very candid, man. Very honest. Um, but it, it's one of those things that it couldn't have gone any other way for him. Really? Uh, let's say he refused to do it. Then he was probably out of the business. They maybe could have had him blacklisted. I don't know. But, uh, you know, you look at uh, that, that situation, He did he have a choice? And it scarred him forever. You can tell him, he, he, even when he, in that conversation, is telling you, you know, he still thinks about it all these years later. And uh, we had a conversation with his son, Brian, and, you know, Brian said the same thing, that it's just something that has stayed with him. It's never, uh, you know, really gone away. Uh, he has since reconciled with, with Brett. I, they're good. I think that Brett understands uh you know, what, what his situation was back then. But, man, what an awful position for him to have been in. And uh, he talks about how he had uh, Dave, lit- you know, had the car running with their stuff in it. And as soon as that match was over, he ran, they got in the car, and they got the hell out of there and uh, and caught a plane. As soon, you know, and, they, and he, he kept thinking, you know, we're going to get stuck and I'm, I'm going to get killed because uh, he was – as Vince said, uh, he didn't have another superstar that had more heat than he did. But you know, that's the thing. Where in the world um, did uh, that? Uh, you know, uh, what was he going to do? What was he going to do? And, and David says, "I'm going to put my foot down on this." I think WCW. Well, he had a job, but uh, yeah, I guess he could have gone down there. But it's something that would have never, you know, it was never going to change. It was going to be with him forever. And I don't think that him having another job somewhere else would have made a difference. It's just something that, uh, that's has hung over him. It's that cloud that's been there forever. And uh, it's unfortunate that, um, you know, that's what happened with it. Okay. Uh, let's bring in, I'm going to bring Sean, uh, Sean in Sean jazz Stevens. Uh, if I can figure out how to do this, right. Okay. Come on. There you go. All righty. Anybody else want to come in? Let me know. Just uh, uh, give me a message here, and I'll know where to, to bring you up. I don't even know if you, if you said it uh, before, but I just sent you an invitation there, Sean, to come on. 
But uh, that was uh, one of my favorite clips, Casey. Thanks for pulling that one. That was really interesting hearing again. Uh, you know what? In the next one, do let's do Mike McGurk next. That's a that's a great story. <laughs> she okay. comes on. Okay, Sean. I hope that you've got uh, the ability to come on here because uh, not everybody uh, has. Uh, you know, you got to. I don't know. Do you have to click on something different there, Casey, to, for them to come up? But um, love to have you come on. <clears throat> Let's see here. Uh, and also, we've got some questions here. I might as well bring up a couple of those. Let's see. Uh, who the golden era of wrestling would you think would thrive in today's uh, wrestling or sports entertainment? Oh, God, a lot of them. You know, can you imagine you had a Mr. Perfect out uh, today here? Uh, Brett. Hello, Mr. You know, Mo- Hello, Brett. Mr. Mooney. Hello, gentlemen. Hey. Sean, how are you? Oh. I'm groovy like a movie. Thanks. Sean, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I know you've got a lot of experience. Give us a little quick background on you with uh, – professional wrestling well a lot to go really um so i started out like everyone else a fan of the wrestling business um i I think i i we spoke a number of years ago we met and i told you how i always admired someone with the greatest spelling ever of my name so thank you for that right way yeah that correct way that's correct anyway uh, my first wrestling show was in the boston garden i i thought it was great that you guys mentioned boston garden earlier yeah. And it was also interesting, someone brought up Steve Lombardi earlier, because my very first match that kind of inspired me, got me into the wrestling business, was Steve Lombardi versus Leapin' Laney Poffo over the Boston Garden. It was the opening match. And the main event on that night was Bossman and the Hogan for the world title. Wow. To me, that very first match, Leapin' Laney Poffo and Steve Lombardi, it was my first live event ever. In the old Boston Garden, I just instantly fell in love with not just the, you know, the show, it's the, the atmosphere itself. Of course, I watched it on TV, but being there live was what something was it about that, that I never... match, I mean, you guys, you had a lot of great superstars. Why Lanny and, and Steve that uh, really got your <laughs> well, grab well, it was, it was kind of like, you know, you stop the ball rolling. You know what I mean? It was the first yeah. two guys in the ring, first match opened it up. Uh-huh. And I always believe in order to tell a good story, you have to have a great opening, right? Yeah. So I remember that Steve Lombardi ended up going over on that night. He beat Lenny Poffo. And I remember really? being so angry at that because I'm like, oh, how can this guy win? And I didn't really know the ins and the outs of the wrestling business. And my uncle was like, who cares about either one of these guys? Yeah. Which was, you know, how a lot of people – you know, looked at those types of things. But as I grew older in the business mm-hmm. and before I got in myself, I just admired the guys who really didn't get a lot of, you know, praise, if you would. But if it really wasn't for those guys, like Lenny Poffo, Steve Lombardi, who would turn into the Brooklyn Brawler, Mario Mancini, Barry um, Jose Luis Rivero. Yeah, Barry Horowitz was... Uh, we, all we Barry Horowitz was great, especially yeah. the time he finally won a match. I remember yeah. they made a big thing about, you know, Barry Horowitz finally got a win. Right. I remember Iron Mike Sharp was another one they used a lot. Yeah. Iron Mike Sharp. I remember he had the thing on his arm there for forever. And I'm like, when is he ever going to lose that thing? Yeah. yeah. I think him and uh, Bob Orton was probably had a tie for whoever wore that thing the longest. Yeah, I think but, you're right. Um, that was what started it for me. And then, you know, growing up, I always wanted to, you know, pursue it. And it wasn't just – it wasn't just, you know, the storylines. It was just, you know, getting the feel of being live, being in front mm-hmm. of captivating all those people and holding them in the palm of your hands 
and knowing that all these people are here to see, you know, you and stuff like that. And I thought that was great. And I was always drawn to the guys who could cut promos more so than other guys who necessarily couldn't because I'm, I'm someone that prides myself on being able to talk. Um, mm -hmm. I'm Irish, as you know, Mr. Mooney. <laughs> and um, one of the gifts I've had is something that I was able to develop as a talking skill, which as a kid, you know, I didn't have that which is probably why I admired guys in wrestling who were able to go out there and, you know, be able to articulate their words and go out there and captivate an audience just by saying words. And I thought that was awesome. Mm -hmm. And um, that's something I always inspired to do. Not so much to be famous or make more, lots of money. I didn't even want to be world champion. But what I wanted to do is to give people someone to say, hey, this guy did it and I can too. I wanted to be the guy that would inspire others to kind of grow in and say, listen, if this guy can go out there and kind of promo, so can I. And as a shy kid from a city of Quincy, <laughs> you, you know, we didn't have much of a shot, but we did it anyway. Yeah. And now today I've just uh, stepped out of the ring and now I'm doing more stuff with my son. As I think we, I told you, me and my son host a uh, show on YouTube for Dream Masters. We're kind of the originators of the whole fantasy dream match type scenario. And we have a lot of supporters, a lot of people all over the world who love our show. Um, I think a number of years ago, I, I, I was, I'd let you know, Mr. Mooney, that you are a former champion of Oz <laughs> as you won a right. announcer tournament we did. But I mean, over the years, I mean, I was able to fulfill my dream basically. And um, I think I mentioned earlier in, you brought up Kowalski. I owe a lot to him as being from Quincy, which is in Massachusetts. That's yeah. one of the best schools I found. And I remember at the end of practice, every, every single night after we were done in the ring, I was a young kid back then. Yeah, well, I'd say young kid. I was 18. <laughs> but um, I remember at, at, the end of the at the end of the training sessions, I would have to what they call cut promos on everybody in the business. I mean, everyone in the ring in the uh, school that time. And Kowalski helped me develop my promo skills, which today I'm happy to say that I, I've kind of one of the best, one of the good uh, on the spot kind of talkers in the business now, on the indie circuit anyway. <laughs> but um, I have a lot of great knowledge of the wrestling business. I owe a lot to wrestling. Yeah. Um, and a lot to you, Mr. Mooney, particularly, because I always thought like guys like the announcers, like, we always knew about these wrestlers who were larger than life and all these guys. But, I mean, I always had a big a big uh, fascination with the guys. Like I said, good talk. Like, I liked all the announcers. I used to, used to feel bad for you guys because I'm like, how is he kind of, how is he able to interview a person who is, you know, screaming and yelling? And I, I'm able not able to understand them. And I'm on the, as a kid watching, I could imagine being, like, two feet away from the person. Yeah. So I had a question for you, Mr. Mooney, as – to who was the easiest person to you know interview and who was the hardest to interview back then? Yeah, in well, the I've, I've talked about this a couple of times. I think you know that uh, there's a number that stand out were the best. I mean, people like Jake Roberts, who you basically just turned the microphone over to, and he took it. Same with Her Kurt Hennig was another tremendous one. Uh, I've mentioned also before that uh, the Warrior was tough. It just depended on you know what day how you caught him, but he had his own thing and it didn't matter what you said before or after it was, he was going to cut his deal, but uh, <laughs> there was greats, greats in the business back then. And 
for the most part, Jake most of them he was really one of my idols. Yeah, most of them made it very easy. Well, Sean, thanks for coming on. I want to keep moving here. So uh, thank you very much, keep, sir. Keep listening and uh, really uh, thanks for your insight on the and, and the garden. Really, is a special place. There's no doubt about it. When I, and I I've never forgotten those uh, the time we were there and 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 uh, Walter, as you refer to him, you know, people who knew him knew him. As Sorry, Walter, and really. <laughs> Just he's he was royalty up there, and and I just was always uh, gave me a real great appreciation of the business when we go up there because it was there was so much respect in that locker room, and I never got over how everybody would come by and they shake every every single person's hand, and the reason for we that still is, live that today. Yeah, I still should, do this live the day, on. and it goes outside the wrestling business. Yeah, but it should it should it should live on because uh, it was an appreciation that you're helping to put food on my table, basically. You're helping with the card, and it didn't matter where you were on that card. You were a part of what they were doing, and it. I just thought that was awesome. I've never forgotten it. Indeed, and just before I go, I want to say I love Lord Alfred Hayes. May he rest in peace. I thought you guys did a great job together. Yeah, I miss uh, I miss his lordship every day. He was a, a special person, and I, I, I love to throw in stories here and there on him. But we'll have to do a whole special. I'm trying to get a hold of his kids, and I'd love to get uh, get them on. Uh, candy and Lord Alfred Hayes was one of the best. I thought he was very elegant, very well talked, and and just I love a guy with a good accent and stuff like that. And he and boy did he have it. Oh, he sure did. I agree with I'll, you. Thank you, Mister Mooney, for having me. All right, Sean. Take care, man. Take care, buddy. All righty. Anybody else want to come up? Love to hear from you. Let's get to some clips because we are winding down here. We got to be out of here by two hours. So, uh, case uh, let's do the Mike McGurk uh, bit in there, and she talks about. Uh, her relationship, I think, with uh, B. Brian Blair and uh, a run-in with her dad and a, and a gun. So I'll leave it at that. Go. Well, um, <clears throat> which time? I know <laughs> that, uh, um, and that goes back. Now, this, let me just tell you, beforehand, I saw Ted DiBiase. That was where it all started. My dad broke his arm over that one um, <laughs> because I was I was outside. Ted and I were like, okay. Um, I was 21 or something. He's 22. And I was like, I'm in love and this is it. And my dad's standing up there on top. We had like three stairs. It was a big uh, colonial house and they had big, big columns. I'm Ted and I are down stairs. He's up there and he, and we told him that and he stood there for a minute. Then all of a sudden he took his right hand and he swung it into that post. Oh my God. Oh God. <laughs> no God. Anyway, um, daughter is going to be hooked up with a wrestler and he broke his arm doing that and uh, but nobody got hurt except dad but there was a story about that then brian and he loved brian and there was a but there was a, a respect that came um with that because of who brian was and and not to take anything away from ted at all um except that um ted was more of a heavyweight and my dad really had a um, uh, uh, soft heart for Brian because of who had trained him and that he was very, you know, the Briscoes were, were part of my dad's uh, discovery out of OSU. And um, Brian was there uh, with them, but he was trained by a Japanese fellow that was uh, terrific. And it was Hiro Matsuda. Yeah, and, yeah. oh yeah. And so there oh. is the Brian and, I can tell you a story about Matsuda. I knew I knew him when he first came over from Japan, and my dad had him here. And I remember, you know, this is how I know how the wrestling business and the guys used to be because he was car- he used to carry around a 
um, a box of milk bones, dog bones, you know, milk bones. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, well, he was told that if he eats that, it's good for his bones and it's going to make him stronger. And <laughs> I mean, they, I, I, that, and I remember as a little kid, I'm like, yeah. but that's dog bones, Daddy. And, you know, and my mom would go, shh, just, just leave it alone, leave it alone. Right. So yeah, I, I saw how things were in the business early on and was told that, um, just remember, kid, if they don't tease you, they don't like you. So maybe I have a lot of friends that I didn't know about because they teased me. But Brian, um, it is, there was a struggle, um, and um, the gun came out after the struggle. I, there might have, there was something that happened um, about, and my, my mom and dad, I was the only kid. And when they were trying to make decisions or something, they always, you know, come on, kid, we're, and we would drive. We would drive, and, and my mom would drive, and we'd discuss it. Or that they thought I wasn't happy or something. And um, anyway, that my dad happened to say something, and he said, well, she's my goddamn daughter. And the next thing I know, Brian's coming out, and we had a porch. It was up at a ranch, and it was um, a, a big porch with um, uh, it had crosses and you had your your timber up and timber down but they were crosses mm-hmm. they broke through those things i don't i use this my yeah. dad i'm looking at there's my dad and there's my i don't know if my, if i was engaged or if we were married yet and my mom and i are sitting there and they're rolling on the ground it's like oh jesus oh god well brian got up and and um he was he was good but he 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 stopped because it was going too far but i'm telling you my dad for a blind man, I mean, once he knows where you were, um, he was not a blind man. He, God, he, and that's, I, oh my God, I can tell you he had, and it, I, I've heard that that if you lose a sense like that, that the others are so much more perceptive, and yeah. he could hear pins drop, and he would know where you were at. He would follow your voice. You know, um, um, if you were sitting on the couch and there were two or three people, he could absolutely point you out and look, you know, look at each one. Um, so anyway, that was a, a time that I think we didn't know Alzheimer's was beginning, but, um, and I, and to the struggle that, um, that it, and it was a hard time because there was a struggle between he and, and Bill Watts and a territory yeah. that my dad, this was his, and he didn't want to retire. But right. um, his ideas and things didn't go along with what Bill wanted. So we put everything into Brian. And uh, you know, he was just too young. We were both too young to uh, really handle running this business and trying to run opposition. Towards yeah. Bill, this was still this is seventy eight now, so we we're not even we're not, we're not even Vince McMahon's not even in the picture, and and besides, Senior was still alive, but um, they decided to split, and my dad took Oklahoma, and Bill took Louisiana, and um, so here I was with Brian. So we're trying to be married or trying to get into that. We're also running his ranch. And Brian's heart was still in the wrestling business. He wanted to be a wrestler, but the pressure of him being like dad's right-hand man or what they call a booker calling the matches was too much. Brian knew, and as he saw, he, he the boys treated him different. 
Mm-hmm. And they would, you know, because, well, we were married to Leroy's daughter, yada, yada, yada. And Brian didn't like that kind of pressure. <laughs> and uh, I don't I don't blame him. That was a, a great episode. And, and Casey, you can chime on here. I wish Evan was up here, too. But, man, how long did it take us to get Mike? <laughs> how many? Well, I was pursuing her for probably six months, oh. if not more. Oh and, and we'd have, remember we'd have it set up. Okay. It's going to be Tuesday at this time and, and yep. then nothing. And then, and we didn't hear from her for months and months. And I finally, I just said, if she gets back in contact with us, yeah, we'll do it. But I mean, it was like five times, right? Exactly. When we had her I, set to go. I think there was a time where you find, you may have even said, you know what, forget her, you yeah. know? And, yeah. and, and then out of the blue, right. And out she of the blue, said, she, she sends me a message and, 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 uh, it was funny because she, you know, when I set it up, I was like, just make sure you're there. And she's like, yep, yep. I'm going to be there. And, got it. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, uh, once a week up until that, that interview, she sent me a message. She's like, I remembered, I remembered, you know? Yeah. So no. And, well, and it was, it was a great interview too. And that was, that was yeah, another, once we got her. Yeah. Yeah. That was another one of those that went like what two hours, if not more. Yeah, no, I think more than that. And uh, you know, fascinating uh, stuff I'd never heard because you know I worked with Mike uh, with the WWF, but I didn't know all the stories before that and and her about her father Leroy McGurk, who was this uh, you know famed uh, not he was a wrestler and then a big promoter and had uh, worked with Watts as you heard her talking in there and then had his own territory, but he was blind. Uh, could hardly couldn't see hardly anything and he you know he used to do play by play <laughs> i'm not kidding they said he would do play by play and yep. he could tell from i guess the sound of how they hit the mat you know hit the ring uh uh the canvas that he could tell pretty much the moves and the color the play by play guy would correct them but he was doing more color he wasn't you know calling the, the uh, shots but he did play by play. And, and, uh, we also interviewed, uh, B Brian Blair and, and he confirmed all this. Uh, that's how we ended up asking her. Cause we had had him on first and he talked about how, uh, Leroy had gone after him with a gun and shot bullets at him, hit the wall that he was pretty close to where he was standing and, uh, just uh, wild, but they're very close friends to this day of uh, B Brian Blair and, and Mike McGurk. So, Really, really enjoyed that. Um, <clears throat> okay, we've got about 15 minutes left on here. And uh, Casey, I know we're not going to get to all these clips, but uh, there was one I wanted to, to get in there for sure. And I wanted to have, you know, one of the new generation of wrestlers on on with us. And uh, I think the Janella, one of the Janella, Joey Janella's uh, 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 clips and I th- the one I think of him taking that bump off that building. Now, many of you may know uh, or don't know that uh, what an incredible uh, story this was where he could have died or been crippled for life. But it launched his career in a, ways, in a lot of ways because this bump that he took was, uh, uh, you know, went viral. It was, you know, on video and put up on the social media sites and just went nuts. So let's let's show. I don't think this clip is too long, but let's play this clip of Joey Janela talking about that unbelievable stunt that he did, and that, that's exactly what it was uh, off this building with this other, uh, you know, uh, independent wrestler who had had quite a reputation for just doing incre- you know, outrageous 
uh, bumps, if that's that's putting it mildly. So let's listen to this clip from Joey Janela. He was just a, a, a character. He owned Combat Zone Wrestling back in the day. Shows I used to go to, shows I used to get tapes of. And this guy, Zandig, was this big pot belly guy. Zandig. Kind of uh, jacked up, uh, but looked like a classic bodybuilding, uh, powerlifting build. And um, he's an old guy now, but back in the day, he was he was cool. He would throw guys off buildings through fire and just reckless, just reckless nonsense that we all like to watch. So when he came on to social media, no one believed it was him. Mm. But right off the bat, I started saying, oh, you won't throw me off the building. But uh, yeah, it was the real guy, and uh, so he but he dis- he, he disappeared for a long th- for a period of time because obviously I don't I don't know about him, and <laughs> so yeah. But, but he was you know he's kind of this underworld independent guy, and then disappeared. Yeah, he kind of disappeared for about eight years. Yeah. Why for injury? CZW. Or? Huh? No, I just think he was done. He sold CZW. Uh, uh-huh. Um. And he was just done. He has young kids, and uh, he was a foreman of a construction company, and uh, I just wanted to get away from the business. Uh-huh. You know? And uh, CZW, the, they're the ones that started the really, really crazy nonsense in wrestling, and that guy was the guy who started it. <laughs> so he was gone for like eight years, and when he appeared on Facebook, everyone was uh, – laughing and saying oh that's not him that's some guy runs it for him or some guys pretending to be him but it was him and uh he started asking around who i was and why i kept like, calling him out and he decided he wanted to uh do a show with game changer wrestling which was the, up- the upstart company i'm now very a part of mm-hmm. and um he wanted to do a, a themed show based off one of the deathmatch tournaments he did in cw in the early 2000s and he wanted to bring that back so uh that was it he was coming to wrestle me and uh i knew i was getting thrown off something but i didn't know if i I was getting thrown off that Mm -hmm. roof you know uh so it it was showing up at that building that day he said come around back i'm going to show you where you're going to go off of it was it was just like all right got to do it now you know that was my (laughs) You're not going to say no. Are you on the ground looking up or up on top of this thing looking down? <laughs> He's I went. I, no, I went on the I First, I was on the ground. He showed me where I was going to fall into. Yeah. Um, he showed me the truck. The 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 reason it was in the back of a pickup truck is because the shock, uh, the springs on the, the truck um, would break or fall much like a, a wrestling ring, which mm-hmm. he was. He was a hundred percent right about that. Actually, to be honest, he yeah. it felt like flipping off of a building into a wrestling ring, uh, a hard one, but a wrestling yeah. ring. Um, so yeah, he was showing me how it was going to fall, and there was a lot of stuff a part of the the the, the bump that I agreed I didn't agree to take uh, before. I said I want to do this, I want to do that, but when I I got there, I was talked into it and. Uh, I said, okay, let's do it. And uh, I thought it was off the lower roof. And then he said, come on, we're going to go up. Mm. And it was on into the it was the very top roof of this uh, warehouse. Jesus. And, um, you know, we did the match. The match was great. Yeah. Uh, this guy looked the best. He looked like 15 years. 
doing a great job of, uh, you know, doing this match for them and the crowds into it. And, uh, and we go to the spot and, you know, we go up and he lifts me up and it's just like, uh, all right, I close my eyes and when I open them, it was, <laughs> we were in a back of a truck, yeah. um, in a pile of glass and barbed wire and, uh, I opened my eyes. As soon as I opened my eyes, a bunch of light bulbs that popped off the truck due to the spring came crashing down on my face and spin out glass. And Ugh. this guy was saying his back was broken and uh, I couldn't see anything because of dust. I didn't think I was that hurt. I was like, wow, I survived this. This is all right. This was very wild. It was a very wild thing to do. And uh, I looked at my hand and my, my thumb was squirting blood all over the place. Wow. <laughs> And uh, it was really, it was a really crazy moment because the entire staff ran over and I was like, my thumb is hanging off and this guy's saying his back is broken. But yeah, when we came out of that truck, that crowd was, they, they, they lost it. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah. It was really, people say it's in front of 30 people. There was a good 500 people there. It was the most hardcore wrestling fans from uh, the present and the uh, past from the day. CZW over there, and uh, it really was a special moment, even though my thumb was hanging off. And I didn't go right to the hospital. You know, I hung around there for about another four hours. I just taped it up and drank about six beers and then, then decided to go to the hospital. <laughs> you got to admire a guy who's willing to do that. That that is one of the most amazing stories we've had on, and and I, I've seen that video. I don't know if you guys have checked it out, but it's insane. Uh, and and the guy has never been the same. Joey talks about that. That guy was ruined after that. I mean, his back was broken in a couple of places, and I think that he's he walks with canes now. And I mean, it was just not not a good life decision. Uh, worked out well for Joey, although he almost lost his thumb uh, getting ripped off through barbed wire, but. Uh, you know, it just shows where the business has gone too. It's just kind of frightening that uh, you have this element out there now that has really just gone off the rails, and and it's it's just scary because you just think you know somebody at some point is going to get killed. Uh, but uh, you know, Joey's launched it into a very successful career, and he's still at it out there. Um, uh, you know, we haven't uh, mentioned yet is uh, Unboxed Alliance, uh, folks. That uh, if you've been seeing this. Uh, action figure that's been out there and i really really wanted to <laughs> i want one i want i want the this but we're going to give it away um i don't know if we've got the, them still with us but i wanted to recognize them and uh, uh but i'm going to bring you up okay uh well let's bring him on i want to because uh, i don't want to run out of time here without uh getting them up here so i'm going to send you uh an invite and have you come on with us okay so here it comes and uh, guys, I mean, this, uh, one of the best ever. I mean, I, I don't have a action figure, but uh, I wish I wish I did. And and uh, this this should be it. Hey, how are hey, you? What's up, fellas? Good to see you. How's it I know going? your name is an unboxed alliance. So, yes, uh, <laughs> my name is Justin. So uh, Justin uh, is my name. Uh, unboxed alliance is my brand, and um, this is the look the at that. that we're talking about here. Cool. Well, well, tell uh, us a little bit about the company. I mean, uh, you, yeah, you do sure. all kinds of action figures. For sure. Yeah, this is like this is my workbench back here. You probably see it. 
Um, I do wow. custom wrestling figures. These are the my Legends figures I collect. Um, so these are all mostly Legends by Mattel, but I do my own custom figures. Here's a Dino Bravo that I just finished um, right here. Wow. And oh, these, wow. You do a, they look very, yeah. very good likenesses. And the, the likenesses Especially the are, part I like with mine is it's, as, yeah. it's almost as buff as I am. <laughs> the uh the artist that uh helps uh with these uh, i have a uh, 3d designer tom veg uh veg 3d veg 3d yeah. is his company so he does all these um here is a um jack tunny that i'm working on here uh wow. that he did so like they have um uh, you can get anybody made um that you'd like and uh, he sculpts them and then warren warsman is the printer 3d printer artist who does it and then i paint them all up and uh do all the details so oh. um that i do a little bit of painting on them uh the body of this one uh, i don't know if i can turn it around but i'll do it this way the body is the mean gene uh body we did some decals by curb stomp custom decals yeah. over with the classic logo and then um figure kingdom has sponsored these backgrounds in the back um the winner of the figure will also get these two backgrounds digital um you can print them out at kinko's uh, they're kind of a, a modified event center, um, closest he could get to it. So uh, winner will get the the figure and those backgrounds, and uh, it's just really cool to be a part of this. I've uh, been a big fan of Sean's and the podcast and uh, wrestling as a kid. Um, everything in my room is all um, classic stuff, and then the art on the walls from um, Hal Haney Art. He does some great art and recently got on with the WWE and their Top Slam Attacks cards. And some of oh. his art has been so. So uh, we don't have a whole lot of time remaining. Yeah. But um, now, so but people can, if somebody wanted to have a custom action figure, let's say of them, I mean, you could do that, right? Yes, so, I could do that. Uh, yep, is that with I the company with you do that. everything as one individual thing, or do you mass produce them? How do you? Uh, it's a one, yeah, one shot, one deal. Um, wow. I'm gonna look at getting commissions open again in January, and yeah, people can hit me up on my Instagram, Unboxed Alliance, um, anywhere on social media. If you Google Unboxed Alliance, you can find me. When commissions are open, um, you the the design, designing your own face 3D is is kind of pricey. It's I think 150 bucks to 200 dollars for your own personal model, but you get the print um, of it and you get the 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 rights to print it. Uh, so it really is pretty cool. But he can do anybody. Um, we do group pledges with groups of people throwing in 10 bucks each, 15 people, and and do a a, a character. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Awesome. So once you have one done, like you have a Sean Mooney done. Yep. Um, I can get more. Right. I yeah. Mean, well, I'm going to do now that you've got, got the model. Speaking, so you said you wanted one. I've got one I'm working on right here for you. Oh, this one's awesome. going wow. to be ready for you next month. So uh, well, that's uh, a Saturday night's main event. Uh, yeah, yes. exactly. We'll get you one looking all right. good, all tucked up. But uh, Tom right. is a very talented artist and he's the uh, 3D that's sculptor. Fantastic. Very cool. All right. So, folks, uh, you get we, we're giving this away tonight. Yes. So here is the the uh, you've got a trivia question and the first person that types in the answer is going to win this oh yeah this action figure this is definitely one of a kind i, I thought for yes. sure zach Ryder would be with us tonight because uh uh it's it's so rare i would think that he would want it. Uh, yeah exactly but uh anyway uh here is the trivia question i'm going to use the one evan that we came up with earlier which i think is a great one uh we have had three guests with the last name roberts Give us those three guests that have appeared on primetime with Sean Mooney with the last name Roberts. And the first person that gets those all typed in there is going to win uh, this action figure Custom of me. Figure. Yeah. Whoa. Wow. That was fantastic. Garrett Hernandez won. Garrett, congratulations. Justin, go. Jake, and Sam. Wow. That was pretty quick. Marsh, you right were just on. seconds behind him. Sorry, man. But uh, Garrett Hernandez. 
uh, nailed it. Okay, cool. so that's uh, Garrett Hernandez has got this action figure that really and th- th- these th- the stuff you do is is really really great. So once again, uh, for everybody who's listening, if they want to get in touch with you because they want to uh, either get uh, one of these. Uh, tremendous sean mooney dolls of yeah. <laughs> action figures they're not dolls yeah action, um, figures. action figures but also if they're interested in maybe like you said you can if you've got somebody special and, and you want to make one you pitch in together yeah huh? i've got i've got one of the uh the um this guy here from the beverly brothers we're working on uh blake beverly i got bo beverly oh, yeah. over here we got everybody so yeah anybody you can think of we can do it all right fantastic evan i'm going to bring you in right now because we're going to have to sign off here but uh Folks, really, I want to thank everybody for staying with us this year. It's, fan- it's been fantastic. Uh, we've got a little community here, and I know uh, we don't have uh, a ton of people that join us tonight, but uh, it was great that you did. And and I know a lot of people who, you know, uh, will, we're going to put this out as a regular primetime with Sean Mooney episode uh, coming up. It'll come out. Uh, it'll drop Christmas Day. So when you're listening, you, uh, you can catch all of this with these great clips. But uh, really, Evan, thank you for everything you've done. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys. uh, uh, Yes, well, you've done a great job this year. I just want everybody to know he handles all the social media, and then, of course, Casey Jerombeck, who produces uh, the podcast for us, and all you guys. I mean, really, uh, happy holidays. I mean, uh, it's been a great run. We we're hoping uh, another great year ahead. Like we said, there's still a lot of people out there we want to get. Right, guys that uh, we, we're still yeah. on our target list and we hope to bring it to you. But also, uh, we've got got some new stuff coming your way. I wish I could tell you more about it, uh, but uh, I hope I'll have more information as the new year starts. But we're going to keep bringing you brand new content. You know, we've got these network classics. So um, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Have a great holiday. Thanks, and we'll, and a tremendous new year.